This week, we are, we are continuing with our, our series in distraction. Uh, my name is Jonathan Puckett, so if you didn't hear all of John's spiel, that's my name. I'm Jonathan Puckett. Uh, Ajwa said that I will be trying to show us how to get rid of our busyness, but that's not actually true. I'm sorry, Ajwa, I did not explain that well. What, what I'm hoping that we will come away with today is that we have certain priorities, that there are things in our lives that that we, we, ha- we have to rank in order of what we want to do the most. And so we've been, we've been focusing on distractions. And if any of you hear the irony there, and you don't think it's funny like I do, I'm sorry, uh, please excuse me while, while I also kind of look at my notes because I, I was at this conference all weekend. I was like really busy all week. Uh, I, I, was, I was at this conference for three days and I just kept hearing these powerful preachers telling me stuff that, that is supposed to be in this sermon. And so I just kept adding to it, and I kept rewriting and saying, oh, I need to change this here. So I finished writing like two nights ago, and I was here late last night with, uh, with some people that were distracting me. Uh, this, this is what I had in my office at 9.30 last night as I was trying to prepare for this sermon. So it gives you a little, little idea of what my life is like with as as a youth pastor (laughs) we've been talking about this series distractions we've been we pastor john has been helping us see that distractions start off as these small things that draw our attention away from other things that are more intentional maybe more important and then these distractions tend to grow bigger and demand more of us i i don't know if you've experienced that but my my distractions like, there, there's, there's thousands of them, uh, but, I mean, look, look at this. These are just logos of things that I am distracted by. <laughs> distractions usually take us to a place that we don't want to go. They, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I want to get into a gnarly, mo- like, the most gnarly, most rashy car accident I've ever been in. I don't, I don't, like, I don't wake up thinking, oh, I want to, I just want to sleep in a padded room tonight, like, with bars on the doors and being hugged by, uh, by the whitest, most cozy Snuggie ever. That's like something else is usually happening there. Something else is happening. So, something, some question is being asked. Something is, being, is drawing my attention and, and causing me to, to fall down these tracks. I'm being distracted. So... Like I said, I, w- I was at this conference this weekend, and it- it's, not, it's, not nor- it's not unnormal for me to be, to be busy. Uh, I-, I, was, I was always busy throughout high school. I worked a job. I was a soccer coach. I wrestled. Uh, I-, I was a full-time student. I led, the- I led a fifth and sixth grade youth group. I was on the student leadership council for my, for my church's youth group. I was always busy. I didn't succeed at all of those things. I didn't do them well, necessarily but I was always busy. But I was also like the most distracted person that you would ever meet. And I, I'm also going to try to not pace as much, so just so you guys know that. I'm self-aware. But I, I was super distracted. I'm also distracted by, by thinking of not pacing. I, in college, I was actually known as the distractor. Like, that was my nickname amongst my friends, is they would call me the distractor. Johnny Puckett, no, it was the distractor. Because I was, I was gifted at distracting other people. Not just myself. I was great at that, too. But like I said, there are thousands of things that we're distracted by. 
I want you to imagine that, that you are a busy person. I know that's going to be hard for some of you, Pastor John. <laughs> imagine that you're busy. Imagine that you've got things going on in your life. That, see, that there are things screaming for your attention. Whether it's social media, the, the news feed, your Trump or Hillary news thing that is just going right there for you. You got attached to your phone, and you're always looking at it, saying, what did, what did Hillary say? What, what, what's the new offensive thing that Donald Trump said? There's, it's like every day. I love it. I got that on my phone. Um, but imagine that, that this is you. Like, just think of all the things that you're distracted by that, that create busyness. Maybe, maybe it's cleaning or doing the dishes or your, your homework. For me, the, the thing that is most pressing, most urgent in my life on a day-to-day basis, minute-to-minute, is that little red dot with a number inside of it that appears on my phone hovering just over the Facebook or email apps. It's that little red dot. As soon as there's, there's like that, that one, number one inside that little red dot, it's like an obsessive compulsion, guys. Like I, I need to get rid of that red dot. I have to. And if I can't respond to it in the moment, so I'm out at lunch or I, I'm hanging out with someone and I get this long email from Pastor John telling me all the things I did wrong that day. I, <laughs> I can't respond to that right then. I want to respond when I'm at the office and he's not there as well. So I can't respond to this. And so I have to mark that as unread. I learned that because sometimes I miss those emails and I, I, I look at them, but I can't respond. So I just leave it to later and I just miss them. So I've learned I have to mark it as unread. And that little red dot comes back onto my email app. And it drives me crazy for the rest of the day. Like, it nags at me, and it's like, I'm still here. I'm still here. And I go, I, I go a, little, a little loony. Uh, you guys all know that now. I'm sorry. You guys don't need to be pastored by, by, a, by a crazy person. But I, I think that this is something that we all do to one degree or another. I think that, that very often there, there's something in our lives. Maybe you've been, uh, maybe you've been to coffee with someone that, that they're on their phone practically the whole time. They're, they're texting or they're Snapchatting or they're taking the most obnoxious pictures of their awesome-looking food that didn't look that awesome before, but they like, they've like moved it to a position where it looks cool. And so they're taking like these mediocre pictures of this awesome food. And you're like, I'm sitting right here. Like, I'm in your picture, but you don't want to talk to me. When, when the youth group went to our small groups, like when we started doing small groups on a regular basis, I, I, would, I would roam. I, I didn't lead a small group. I tried not to so I can roam to the different groups and kind of watch what, what our leaders are doing, see, see how they're doing things. If maybe they're doing things I've never done before, then I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Every time I go to the, the girls' junior high group, I, I would see that our, our junior high girls had put their phones in the middle face down. If you've ever, ever tried to pry a phone away from a junior high girl you see the face of the devil. <laughs> like, they are ready to, to jump on you. But props to Kelly Ott. She, she has these girls putting their phones in the middle of the circle every day or every, every week. Yeah, right? Yeah. But we, we have Kelly, who hasn't put their phones in the middle, face down. But still, every 60 seconds, one of our girls picks up her phone just to look at it for a minute and see... Did, did someone comment on my, on my latest Instagram post? And they put it back down. 
And 60 seconds later, she picks it back up just to check. She hasn't posted anything since youth group started, but she's, uh, she's anticipating someone posting, some, like commenting on her, on her last post. Maybe, I recently heard a study that the average American has an attention span less than uh, that of a goldfish. Like that, that's baffling to me. We, the, the study says that, that our, our attention spans went from an average of 12 seconds to an average of 10 seconds, and now it's lower than that, which means that we have an attention span less than that of a goldfish. A goldfish, guys, we're failing at something <laughs> when, a, when a goldfish has longer attention span than us. But the, the fact is, we are so fast-paced. We move 100 miles a minute. It, and I, you, we can't blame the millennials for the fact that, they are, that we don't have a, a, a good attention span anymore. We can't blame Generation Z for that fact. It, they don't make up the, the bulk of American citizens. It, it starts with us as, as adults, as, as baby boomers, or I don't even remember what the rest of the, what I was saying. <laughs> Goldfish, dang. <laughs> I'm still laughing about it. It's all of us. It's hard for us to focus on something, let alone the important things. Usually our, our attention is drawn toward the thing that is loudest, the thing that is yelling the most, that when everyone else takes a breath, it's still going. Our attention is so fickle. It moves from one thing to the other, and I don't think that, there, that there's much that we, we've done to stop it. It's dragged to things that are significantly less important. Get, get this. On December 29, 1972, Eastern Airline, Airlines Flight 401 crashed into, into near Miami. About 100 people died. A little bit more, actually. 100 people died in this crash. And guess what investigators found out? They found, they, they later came out and said, the three crew members that were in charge of the, the flight were distracted by this flashing, malfunctioning warning light. And they were so distracted by this malfunctioning light that the plane crashed. They didn't realize that the autopilot was disengaged until it was too late and they crashed into a mountainside. They, they were distracted by a, a malfunctioning light that just kept going like this. And they didn't realize that they were, they were nosediving into a mountain. In all the situations we've talked about, it isn't like anyone was doing anything terrible or absolutely wrong, unless you're maybe the, photo, the food Instagrammer. Sorry, <laughs> that's me too. Uh, it's not like they were doing anything completely wrong. These things needed to get done. I, like, what, I'm, I'm responsible for checking my email. As a youth pastor for this church, I communicate with people within our church as well as within the conference. I'm running camps for, for the winter already, and I'm, I'm trying to communicate with, with pastors. That's my primary job. I, actually, I'm pretty sure most youth pastors don't even know they have an email address, but that's, a, that's beside the point. I, it's my job to stay on top of my email. And for those, those food Instagrammers, it, as wrong as they are, they, it, they're, they're, they're interacting with the, with the world in some creative new way. They... 
they're actually performing a service. They are advertising for all these companies, these small companies that are making delicious food that I didn't know about before I looked at their Instagram. And then I'm perpetuating that because it's a fried rice burrito. It's Asian Mexican fusion. It's so good. Now all y'all are gonna go to, go to Fifth Street in Santa Ana and go to this place. It's delicious. They, they serve a purpose. It, when I was supervising, uh, supervising a staff at Forest Home, my, my expectation that, was that people were, were responding to their, to their text messages and emails from me in a timely manner. That meant 24 hours. So they had to be on their phones at some point or their, their email at some point. I, I am 99.999% positive that it's part of the job description for Eastern Airlines crew members that they, that they resolve malfunctioning equipment at, to the best of their abilities, right? Like, if you're flying, you don't want that oxygen bag coming down and seeing that, oh, something's, the air's not coming out. It's part of their job to, to fix that. But hear this. The, the problem that all these examples fall into is that they allow the flashing, urgent things demanding their attention to distract from the mountain, the things that are most important. When you're, when you're trying to fix a light and you run into a mountain, there's something wrong. When, when, they, when we allow the distractions of the, the urgent, when we allow that to distract us from the things that are most important, there is something wrong. And that's what all these things do. That's what these distractions that start out small do. And the thing is, Mountains, they shouldn't be that hard to miss because they're mountains. (laughs) About seven months ago, I started dating this wonderful person, some of you all may know. She used to work here, fond of big hats, gorgeous. Anyway, I told her I was teaching today, and she was like, thank God I'm going to be in Santa Barbara. She's actually here today, so she surprised me. Uh, so I planned all this while she was away, and, and she's, she surprised me. So sorry, I'm going to talk about you. Uh, y'all can get to know her, make her feel awkward. About seven months ago, we started dating, and it, it's going pretty well. We, we started dating in, on October 19th, and a, 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 about a month and a half go by, and it's going well. But all of a sudden, I start getting these comments of like, hey, you're looking good. Have you, you've lost weight, right? And I'm like, Sure. Are you implying that I didn't look good before? <laughs> what, what are you trying to imply? And so that kept going on for a couple of weeks. It, it, but then it, they cut off the whole you look good part, and it was just, you lost weight. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks after that, it, it became, ooh, you lost weight. Let me get you a sandwich. Like, lunch is on me. <laughs> Let's get you some food. <laughs> and so that, like a month or two go by, and I, some, something keeps popping into my head now. It... it I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm not running. I'm, not ex- I'm actually not allowed to exercise at this point. Uh, but something is going on. And I, I keep thinking, like, what, what is going on in my life? Why, why does this keep happening? And so I'm getting a little nervous, but I don't want to let anyone else in on that because I got trust issues and you ain't there. But <laughs> so I, I'm trying to figure, the, figure this out. And while I'm doing that, I, I got my responses in my back pocket. So by the time we get to the whole, you don't look okay comments, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I know. I, if, if, I, if, if I lose anything else, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, start going to the doctor. In fact, my, my supervisor at the men's warehouse, she was, she was telling me, she's like, Jonathan, you, you, you lost weight. I'm like, oh yeah, thank you. She's like, that wasn't a good thing. 
you, you look like our assistant manager. I'm like, yeah, he's a good looking guy. And she's like, yeah, he wears it well. I'm like, man, what's going on? So I, I got this, and I'm coming up with excuses. I'm, I, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll go to the doctor. I, I, I think it's because I, I stopped working out. I lost a lot of muscle. Like I was, like I was muscular. <laughs> like I had any to lose. But something else was going on. See, up to this point, I'd been going through a, couple, through a couple of different stages of my own reactions. I, I was suddenly losing weight. And, like, and so some, something in me was like, oh, yeah, like, I'm stoked. I was a wrestler. I, I, I'm used to, to not weighing what I'm supposed to. Uh, but something's going on. I, I, I was a wrestler. I, I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't even lose weight when I was watching my weight obsessively. What's happening now? I love it. And by the, when, it, when it started getting bad... It was, oh, yeah, like, I got, I, I'm slender, more slim in the face. Sorry, I just tapped that. Uh, I'm slimmer in the face. I got more holes in the belt. I'm look, I feel good. I'm looking good. Uh, and, then, and then it started getting more drastic. By the time I lost 30 pounds in two months, I wasn't working hard. I think you all are jealous. <laughs> I lost 30 pounds in two months, though, and I was starting to get nervous. Uh, there was something else going on in my life that, that was causing this. But the thing is, I, I didn't want any more complications. I, I, wasn't ner- I was nervous, but I wasn't nervous because I was thinking, oh, I'm going to die. I was just losing weight. I, I was nervous because I didn't want any more complications to my own life. See, I was, I was busy. I, I was a part-time youth pastor. I was a... I was working at the men's warehouse. I was working at a, at a charter school. None of those are all that lucrative of career paths, just so you know. I was not making, making all that much money. And I had college debt up to my eyeballs. And I'm planning on going back for seconds in the fall. I, my, my spine is, the technical term for what my spine looks like is jacked up. That's what my, that's what my doctor said. I love the guy. Jerk. I just started dating this wonderful, gorgeous woman, and I finally feel like I'm starting to look halfway good enough for her. That's my own little fantasy that's going on. I don't, but that's what I'm thinking. And and finally, Rihanna and I uh, have a a heart-to-heart, and she she goes, by the way, Rihanna's my girlfriend, just so you know. (laughs) She, She goes, I care about you. I, like more than just your just how you look, I care about you. And if you don't if you don't take care of this weight loss thing, if you don't look into it, try to figure what's going out going on, we're gonna have issues. There's going to be something between us. Because you're not healthy. So we'll come back to this. Let's put this aside. Let's go ahead and look at scripture. Uh, we're gonna open up to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. 38, sorry. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care, about, care that my sister has left me to prepare the, the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. 
One thing is necessary. It's not moving. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. I don't think that the Bible is advocating for laziness here. We're not supposed to look at Mary and see a lazy person. The, the Bible art, like, has, speaks ardently against lazy behavior. So let, let's look at what Jesus says to Martha again. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Or maybe, maybe a different way. You are worried and distracted, Martha, by many things. And you're trying to present a nice home and care for it well. But your busyness is keeping you from the things that are most important. Me. Jesus is like, pay attention to me. Sit at my feet. I, I don't think that Martha was trying to, to avoid Jesus. I don't think she was trying to, trying to get away from him. She invited him into her home. This is her home. It's not a husband's home. It's her home. She's the one that brought him in. But let's see here. Is, is Jesus Martha's priority? Does she desire to be with Jesus or to care, about, to care for her things, to get her stuff done? Martha, Martha was busy. Even, even 2,000 years ago, this woman was busy. She was, she was running her household. There wasn't a husband in the picture that we see at least. She has a sister, and we'll see later that she has a brother. And she, she's running the house, and she, she's used to making dinners for them and... Uh, Maybe you guys that cook actually make something other than Kraft mac and cheese. That's my, that's my go-to. But she's now bringing in the son of the living God. And she's offering to make him dinner. And so I would be making like lobster bisque or, or some sushi because that requires the least amount of effort for the highest quality food, my opinion at least. It's delicious. But more than just having the son of the living God present for dinner now. She's got the son of the living God and all 12 of his disciples. And most scholars agree that Jesus' disciples were between the ages of 13 and 21. He was a youth pastor. (laughs) Jesus was working with these adolescent young men. (laughs) Jesus was working with these adolescent young men, these men, and if you know nothing else about adolescent young men, you know that they can eat. I got, my office is, I get made fun of all the time by the staff. My office is filled with little snacks. And from, from whatever events that we're running, we bring the snacks in. And then it, they just all go into my office because whenever, whenever we have junior high or high school boys come in, the first thing they go to, they don't even come up to give me a hug or high five or anything. They go straight to the food. Mary's got to, or Martha's got to prepare a meal for what, 15, 16 people now? She's used to preparing meals for two, three, four, maybe. But now she's preparing a meal for 15 to 16 adults, young people that are still growing. She's like, I don't want to feed those youth. Shoot. But even knowing this, listen to Jesus' response one more time. Jesus says, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. But only one thing is necessary, and Mary chose it. It will not be taken away from her. 
just a little bit later on in Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he, he's just preaching. He tells them, don't chase after what, what you will eat and what you will drink. Stop worrying. All the nations of the world, sorry, all the nations of the world long for these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. In some of the translations, Jesus says, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And may, maybe, maybe you're thinking, I just need to slow down. Like, we're talking about busyness today. Maybe my, I need to slow down my, in my day-to-day life. Sure. I don't think that this, that's what this passage is trying to say, though. I think that's, that what it's trying to say, that's, that what it's saying is, people are busying themselves with things that aren't important. But when we give, our, give ourselves over to the things that are important, God often give us, gives us the other things as well. We're busying ourselves with things that don't matter. When God says, care, care about what I care about. Do what I want you to do. Spend time with me. And go get all that other stuff as well. And he's not talking about just like, just treasures or whatever else. He's talking about food and water, the things that are essential for life. You'll get those. Maybe you won't get the Xbox 360 or the Xbox One. 360 is outdated. All the, all the high schoolers are like, what are you talking about, boy? It, he's not saying that. He's saying you will get what you need to live if you care about me first. Think about, the, think about Eastern Airlines Flight 401. If someone had been paying attention to the fact that they were plummeting into a mountain, if someone was at the helm, when they landed safely, not if, when they landed safely, then they could have taken care of that malfunctioning light. When we are distracted by the urgent, we tend to miss the mountain. Write this stuff down, because this is good, okay? I spent like three hours on it. When we are distracted by the urgent, we tend to miss the mountain. But the thing is, when we miss the mountain, when we, when we, when we don't see the mountain, not only do we pay the price, but everyone that's traveling with us does. When, when, when the people that, think about this, God has a purpose for you. We've talked about this when you read Jeremiah 11. God has a plan for your life. And, and it's, it's not that, oh, you'll, you'll be saved and you'll have a good life, you'll have kids, you'll get married. It's that you, he will use you to touch other people. It's that he will use you to impact the lives of his children. And so when you miss the mountain, when you, they miss out because you miss the mountain. When they miss out on a mentor because your priority was to get that early promotion. They miss out on that conversion moment because your priority was to find that next hookup. They miss out on an adopted or spiritual parent because your priority was to protest outside of Planned Parenthood. They miss out on a deep and abiding love because your, your priority was to maintain a self-image that just isn't true to God. When you miss the mountain, they miss out. It's more than just you. Our priorities are more than about our own relationship with God. That's part of it. That's definitely a part of it. And that needs to come first. But when you miss the mountain, when you, when you are distracted by the urgent, and you miss the mountain more than just you, 
has to pay. More than you just miss out. So the question really is, what should our priorities be? Not how do we get rid of bus busyness, because that's not what we're talking about here. What should our priorities be? First, I think that, sorry, I'm like skipping slides, guys. My bad. I think our first priority should be prayer, because that's what Jesus' first priority was. When Jesus spent time in the wilderness, a, a few weeks ago, Pastor John taught on uh, shared with us the story of Peter walking on water. But before that, Jesus finds out that he just lost a cousin. John the Baptist was murdered by King Herod. And Jesus wanted to go pray. He wanted to go grieve and mourn for his lost cousin, the person that prepared the way for him. But we find that he keeps getting distracted. He's, he, he keeps getting interrupted. Maybe not Je Jesus doesn't get, get distracted. I don't want to say that. But he keeps getting interrupted by people that, that come to him for healing, for teaching, the poor, the oppressed, the, the widow, the orphans, the lame, the infirm, the mute, the deaf. They come to him because he is their first priority, and he has moved to compassion. And so when we, when we see that Jesus, he stops to pray for them, we, stops to teach them, stops to heal them, we should learn from that, but we should also remember that as soon as that's done, he goes back and he prays. He finds the mountain that he climbs, he finds the things that are most important, and he climbs that so he can pray. He can spend time with his Heavenly Father. And then when he's done, he climbs down the mountain again. He, I think he's still praying. I think he's praying while he's walking, so if you want to do a prayer walk, that's great. But he, listen to this. I think he's still praying because he, he then walks where no human feet can follow. He starts walking on top of water. And then he calls Peter to do the same. Uh, I, think that w I think that Jesus' foundation for a relationship with his Father was prayer. So why shouldn't that be ours? Why shouldn't us talking with God be the first thing that we go to? I think the second one is Scripture. The, this, the second priority that we should look at is Scripture. At the age of 12, Jesus knew the Scriptures. He knew the Old Testament as we now have it. He, he's, he's actually left in the temple, and he's teaching rabbis who had been ministering and rabbiing, whatever that entails, for like 12. They, most of them had probably been doing it for longer than he had, and they had been disciples first. And they, they're now rabbiing, and Jesus is teaching them about Scripture. Let's see. Sorry, I lost my place. I want to share with you guys the, all, the whole book of Matthew. That whole book is dedicated to showing us that Jesus fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament. The book of Matthew is dedicated to showing us that the Old Testament is still relevant. It still means something. It, tell, it tells us a little bit more about who Jesus is. And then we, we look at the Old Testament and we see, oh, we, or we look at Matthew and we see, oh, Jesus is directly descended from all the people whose stories are in the Old Testament. And I think the Old Testament and the, the Scripture as a whole is still relevant. The, the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels are dedicated to sharing with us who we are as the church, who God wants us to be in our individual lives, and what we have to look forward to. The, the Scriptures are still relevant, and, and I, I think that should be one of our priorities. Our third priority, I think, is service. 
In the book of John, chapter 11, we revisit Mary and Martha. Their brother Lazarus has, had, is now deathly sick. Maybe you've heard this story before. But Lazarus is deathly sick, and Jesus is friends with them. And so Mary and Martha send Jesus a letter. And they ask him to come back so that he can heal their brother. And when Jesus gets this letter, he, he lounges around in Jerusalem for another couple days. And then when he does decide to leave, he, he's, he's lollygagging. He takes multiple days to get to a place that's only two miles away. Even walking, I can walk two miles an hour and get there in an hour. Jesus takes more than four days. By the time he gets to Mary and Martha, Martha's house, Lazarus had been in the, in the tomb for four days. That means he had time to die, and then they bury him. And then he's still there for four days. And so when Martha sees him, she runs to Jesus, and she says, she says, Jesus, if you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He would not have died. I think we often do the same exact thing that Martha is doing here, and we blame Jesus for the things that don't go as we plan them. I think we blame Jesus for taking one of our relatives before we, we, are, we were ready. I think we blame Jesus for doing things that we just were like, uh, no, I wanted to still do that, even though I, like, I'm following you, but I still want to do that. Martha says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and get this, it, I don't, Martha knew who Jesus was. Martha wasn't blaming Jesus because she's like, you, like, you're evil and you're vindictive. You don't like us. She's blaming Jesus because she knew he had power to stop death. I think that's what we do all the time. Martha tells Jesus, even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Jesus tells the women to remove the stone that is covering Lazarus' tomb. He tells them to remove the stone because Jesus' job that he gives all people who believe in him is to remove, or to remove the coverings of darkness, to reveal the powers of darkness and death, to show, show, the, show where they are so that Jesus can work. Listen to this, like, Martha, it, instead of remembering who, who Jesus is, who she just declared him to be, the son of the living God, she, she says, like, he's stinky. She tells Jesus, he has been dead for four days. He's starting to smell. He's wearing some of those Tom shoes, and he smells worse than Sheol. Like, it, it's gross in there. And listen to this. This is what Jesus says. He says, he says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Having said this, he, the women remove the stone. And, G, and Jesus, he, Jesus tells the, says in a loud voice, come out. Lazarus, come out out. I think what Jesus is saying here is that he wants you to do some work. He's, he's there to do it. He's there to raise the dead, to say, come out. 
But he wants you to do, do something too. I think he wants us to, to show him where the darkness in our lives are. I think he wants to show us what is dead, what is dark in our culture, in our cities. He says, come out. Live again. Be resurrected. He can say these things. We can't, but he can. And he wants you to be a part of it, to reveal the dark parts of your life, of our neighborhood, of our city. There are plenty of dark places here, guys. Garden Grove, Anaheim, Santa Ana. We're going to be participating in some of this with Be the Church just by fixing up houses. Jesus wants us to unmask the cycles of poverty. He wants us to unmask systems or structures of abuse and reveal systems of injustice. He wants us to show these things so that he can work. He wants you to become a part of the resurrection process and help carry its power. Because Jesus says, come out of that tomb and into life. And guess what happens? Lazarus gets up and walks out. He's no longer dead, but he's still wearing the clothes of burial. And Jesus says to the women, take, take those, the clothing of, of the tomb away, for he is risen. He is alive. Jesus wants us to become a part of the resurrection process and to carry its power. He wants us to, to not be distracted by the urgent things in our life that demand attention. Because if we do, we, we will miss the mountain. He wants us to, to become a part of that resurrection process and carry its power. Where to? Let's see. As I'll join the band come back up, um, I want to give you guys a challenge. This week, as I, I, I would love for all of us to read, to prioritize the Bible. Let's read one chapter a day. If, you, if you've never read the Bible, read one chapter a day. Open up your table of contents and find the book of Luke. Read one chapter a day with me. I'll, I'll do the same thing. If, you, if you're already used to doing this, do more, read more, challenge yourself. But if you have never read the Bible before, or if this is a challenge for you, pick up, pick up Luke, read one chapter a day. Second challenge is let's pray. Let, set aside some amount of time to pray to your Heavenly Father. If you already do this, great. Do, do more of it. Pray, pray more. But if you've never done this or you're a little rusty, what I'd love for you to do is just start talking to God. And eventually he'll start talking back. The third challenge is service. Outside, we, we didn't have enough to put in your bulletins, but outside on, at the Welcome Center, there's, there are volunteer forms, places th- that just have things that we already do as a church. It, and, and th- this is a way that you can just partner with us, that you can pick up what we're already doing and, and feel welcome to, to go into your greater community, into the c- city, and find other places to serve. But if you hear Jesus saying, I want you to remove a couple stones, I want you to reveal some darkness, some places of death in your city or your culture, imagine, imagine what it would look like to unmask the darkness or death and help carry Jesus' resurrection power into your city? What would it look like to carry it into your schools, into the district that you, that you work in or that your kids are part of? 
What would it look like to carry Jesus' resurrecting power to the darkness of your universities, of the city government, into places of human trafficking or gang associations and violence? What would it look like to carry Jesus' resurrecting power into places where we see homelessness? We have that here. What would it look like to take Jesus' resurrecting power into the darkness that, that is racism, that's the KKK? What would it look like to take Jesus' resurrecting power into your own political parties? Because there's darkness there. Not into your, the opponent's parties, but your own political parties. To take it to the people that say, well, we need, we need this because they're, they're attacking us. They're taking our jobs. What would it look like to reveal that darkness and say, no, this is not what Jesus wanted. What would it look like to take Jesus' resurrecting power into every sector of your, of your city, of your community, of your culture, and, and watch what he does? We can't do very much, but we can, we can say, here, this is darkness. This has been dead. Jesus, you need to come and heal it. Come and make something good from it. Bring it out of darkness and into your light. If you, if you would like to, to receive some <laughs> prayer, we would love to invite you to, to kneel at the, at the altar here. Um, and Pastor John and I will be, we'll just pray for you. It, if, if, if Jesus is calling you, if Jesus is asking you, show me part of, your, part of your life. Show me the things in your life that are dark. Maybe it's been dead for years but I want it. I want to do work. Please come up and just receive prayer. I'm going to pray for us, and we will go into a time of worship. Father God, thank you so much for this day that we get to spend together, Lord. Thank you for the words that you've given me, and I pray that anything that was, that was wrong, that, that you cast that out. But Father, I pray that, that you move in us, that you shape us to do your will. Father, I pray that you draw us closer, that you speak into our lives and say, I want you. I pray that you, that you tell us where our dark places are and you ask for them. I pray that you help us see where the dark places in our society, in our city are. And you say, go there. I pray that we are faithful to you, God. Father, we, we love you. We give you all that we are. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name.